Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. I don't even know how we can even afford her anymore as she is just crushing the voiceover game these days, but there's no other way I would want the show to begin each and every week. But thank you for joining us for those watching live right now on YouTube. And for those listening or watching the show after the fact, we love you all this week, a lot to discuss as always, this will be a round table edition of the show. So no points, probably some debate, but essentially this is the kind of show where we hit record and just talk some of the hot topics in the sport of mixed martial arts. So let us introduce the panelists this week. First, he is the man who is victorious in the BTL Championship Tournament. He doesn't feel like a champion in his own mind, but in the books on that plaque of title holders in the offices of the BTL Championship Committee, his name is etched in there as champion from MMAfighting.com. Mr. Jed Mishu in what I believe is his first panelist appearance since jumping on full-time with us over at MMA Fighting. Is it not, Jed? Uh, I guess he has a first panelist appearance. Um, that's true, because I judged last week. Um, and yeah, I mean, my name, look, I'm not the champion. We talk about it a lot. Uh, my name's on that plaque a lot, certainly. Many, many instances of it, but just not this particular instance. But I did have one problem with what you said, Mike. Uh, if you're listening after the fact, I don't love you. I don't love you as much, at least, as those people tuning in live. Thank you for joining us. We're going to have a great time today. All right. And joining Jed on the panel this week, because if you recall, prior to UFC 270, we had a guest UFC fighter on the show. It was Brian Kelleher, who did one hell of a job. And coincidentally Ooh. enough, we have another UFC fighter, another exciting guy. And also, he's a member of the deeply talented UFC Bantamweight division. Let us say hello to my fellow New Englander turned Southeasterner, Mr. Randy Costa. What is up, my man? What's up, man? I appreciate you having me. I, I wish I had some long monologue like you guys had, but a simple what's up will do for me for now. <laughs> and that's all we need. That means we can get right into the thing. And uh, let's just get right after it and start with this Saturday night. Now, normally we kind of go in chronological order, but I think it's fitting. I think the top storyline in MMA right now is UFC 271 because we have a fascinating main event for the middleweight title between Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker. We all remember what happened in that first fight. Whitaker has earned his way back, seems in a tremendous place mentally. Adesanya comes into this fight, just signed a very lucrative multi-fight deal with the UFC ahead of this fight. 
Personally, Jed Mishu, I love this matchup. I think the timing is perfect for it. I think these are the two best middleweights in the world by a pretty mu wide margin. I know there's a guy over in Bellator you would say is probably in that spot. But I feel like we're going to get the absolute best versions of both of these guys on Saturday. So at this point, we're just two days away from this fight. Where do you gauge your excitement level for this rematch? Man. I've been all over the board. So I think I said on here a couple weeks ago or maybe two weeks ago that I was more excited for this rematch than I was for their initial fight just because I thought that I, I had more questions about it. Love you too, Enrique. Um, because going into the first match, I felt extremely confident about what would happen, and it, it turned out exactly like I thought. Like I just thought Robert Whitaker had nothing to offer Israel Adesanya. Um especially with kind of the buildup and how he'd been talking and feeling that Izzy was winning the mental battle on top of his technical edges. I just didn't think that that fight was going to be all that competitive and it wasn't. And so coming into this was way more excited. I was like, all right, I love the things I'm hearing from Whitaker. I love that he has pulled himself back. He's in a better mental space. He's not going to come in there headlong rushing at Izzy. Um, and I, I was all excited for this to be an epic, epic fight. And then I did the take. So I'm, uh, we've got a, a, a column that just dropped today on Pass to Victory for both of them that I wrote. It's on MMAfighting.com, best website in the world. Go check that out. And after I dug into the tape, man, this is just going to be another shit-kicking, dude. Um, like, I, I love Robert Whitaker. I think he is the second best middleweight in the world because Yoel Romero is now light heavyweight, so he's not the best middleweight in the world. Um, but it, this is just a horrendous style matchup for him. And he, I think he'll be more competitive this time around. Um, I, I just don't think it's going to matter. Like there's just, there aren't a lot of avenues to victory for him that I can see uh, outside of fighting an absolutely perfect fight. And even then he probably needs to do that. And Israel needs to have an off day. Like I, I don't, I just don't see it. Uh, you know, maybe Randy can, can sell me on the idea some other way, or, or maybe you can, but he's not. He's not Jan Blahovic. He's not Yoel Romero. He doesn't have this kind of one-hitter-quitter power that will make Israel respect him. And so then he just has to fight a volume kickboxing game against a substantially better kickboxer. Like, it's just really bad for him. So uh, I'm less excited about this than other fights on the card, frankly. I mean, it still is the most important, but I think this is going to be one-way traffic once again. Randy, your thoughts on this one. Can you sell Jed in the other direction? Does this fight get you fired up? If so, why is that? What kind of chance do you give Whitaker to win this fight? So, um, I mean, I'm definitely excited for this matchup. Um, however, I do agree with the assessment of Jed. Um, I mean, people are saying, you know, that they're the blueprint to be Izzy, this, that, the other thing. Like, yeah, I agree. The blueprint is out there. However, Rob Whitaker really isn't that fighter. Rob Whitaker is a fantastic fighter at what he does. However, it's not the stylistic matchup that is going to play to his advantage. I mean, if you break down Rob Whitaker and kind of look at all the things he's good at, you could argue that he's like a finesse-style kickboxer, a tricky, creative kickboxer, but Izzy has seen a million of those. Uh, Whit uh, Whitaker has a really good rear hand, right high kick, or rear hand, rear kick, um, that two, two high kick, two high kick. Um, that's, like, that's kind of an elementary-level like, technique that you're not going to hit against someone of the caliber of Izzy. It's a really good technique, but Izzy has seen a million of those techniques. Um, I think it's definitely going to be a more competitive fight than last time. I think Whitaker's probably going to mix it up a little bit more. But I, I, 
I agree with Jedman. I don't think there's like a clear path to victory for Whitaker. I think that Izzy is going to out finesse um, Whitaker for. I, I don't know if he's going to finish him this fight, but I think it's going to be a pretty single-handed win. So, as the sport and as these big fights that come up tend to do, it creates discussion, right? And, and about not just the fight, but and not just about the ins and outs, strengths and weaknesses, but also from like a historical perspective, a greatness perspective. And that's what's been happening here heading into this fight when it comes to Israel Adesanya, because we got guys like DC, we got guys like Chill Sonnen talking about where Izzy ranks right now when it comes to who is the greatest middleweight of all time. Is it him? Is it Anderson Silva? Jed is a Yo Romero, who knows? And, and Chael essentially says, look, the ultimate answer to these questions is if we have a question like this and two guys are involved and they actually fight each other, whoever wins, that's the tiebreaker. That's the answer to the question. DC is more on the, listen, Izzy is fantastic, but let's pump the brakes on him knocking Anderson Silva off the top of the proverbial mountain. So Randy, I want to go to you. If Israel Adesanya goes out there on Saturday night and beats Robert Whitaker again like you think he will, especially if he does it in dominant fashion. Is he the greatest middleweight ever, or has he still got some work to do? So, man, this this is such a tricky thing. I mean, we're talking two pretty distinct, different generations of fighters, um, number one. And number two, Anderson is is great. Like, there's no doubt about it. His martial arts technique is out of this world. However, one thing that's really... That, that's tough for me to like completely lock in on that idea is that there's a massive asterisk next to the name or, or ne- next to the acronym of GOAT when talking about Anderson Silva because he's failed a couple drug tests. Um, that to me is, I don't know, man, if we're talking about like greatest martial art technique of all time, you know, maybe, but it's tough to like sell me on somebody being the greatest fighter of all time if they've used performance enhancing drugs. Um, I'm pretty passionate about that. I, I don't think that I don't know, man. That's just a, a huge asterisk. And I think he failed I think he had two pop tests, which is which is, you know, even worse. So I, I don't really know, man. It's it's such a slippery slope, especially when comparing these guys. I don't think you can talk about Izzy and Anderson fighting and then that's that's gonna tell you who the greatest of all time is because like I said before, this is two different generations. So that's not even really like a a level playing field. I think Anderson's the great of his time, 1,000%. However, I don't think it's fair to talk about him being the greatest of all time if, you, if, you're, if you're taking performance-enhancing drugs. Um, that's my personal opinion. Anderson is great. I admire his work, but it's just, it's just, tough. It's just a tough sell for me. Jed, I, I always appreciate your perspective on these types of discussions. Where where does an impressive win on Saturday put put Adesanya in this discussion? Are we even uh, are we there yet? Are we, are, like I know with the Usman GSP thing, some people think he's there, some people think he's close. You don't think Usman Those is close to GSP yet? Those okay, so where are we at with this one? They're even larger idiots in this context. Um, I'll get this out of the way uh, right up front. Randy, we can uh, verbally fight. We won't physically fight because I don't want to get my ass beat today. Uh, I don't care at all about performance-enhancing drugs, never have, and nobody will ever make me care. I think that they are – witch hunt is maybe not the right word, but it's in the neighborhood. Um, It's an extremely costly thing to be wildly invasive of privacy and not be effective and not really matter because – if we had MMA a hundred years ago, people couldn't have ACL repair surgery. Is that where where are we drawing the line between what's enhancing performance and 
what a supplement is. So I just couldn't care less about his gas station um, pills. I'll leave the one word out of that for Anderson Silva. Uh, Anderson Silva is, to me, unequivocally one of the best fighters of all time, if you look at his resume. Uh, And he also has all the other intangible things that I really value in those conversations, namely his peak and his ability to extend beyond his peak. I mean, we see some fighters have really high highs. And when they fall off, they're done. Think Johnny Hendricks, you know, up there, best in the world. And then he, I was just in. Anderson's peak probably came at like the Demi and Maya fight, maybe even arguably earlier than that. And he still held the belt for like three years after that. Um, But from a straight nuts and bolts, this is an absolutely absurd argument. The only argument against Anderson Silva is is the PED one. Again, my stance is clear. I also just don't think that argument really holds a lot of water given that he didn't pop during his peak. He popped when he got old. And a pretty credible read of that is, yeah, he got old and wanted to stave off being old by taking drugs. Uh, So I just don't think any of that matters. And he has 10 title defenses and Izzy has three and will have four if he wins this one. Like – Anderson spun generations. He defeated, off the top of my head, three Hall of Famers, four Hall of Famers in title defenses, not counting Forrest Griffin. Like, this isn't a, it's just ridiculous. Chael's idea that Izzy beating Anderson, despite the fact Anderson's 40, is absolutely patently absurd. This whole thing's dumb, and it just speaks to the moment we're in where everything is the best it's ever been, even though. It's not because we have historical context to things. So, uh, yeah, sure. I'm confident that it when Izzy wins, Joe Rogan's going to start that conversation on air because he did it like three fights ago with Usman. So he, that man loves to be ahead on his bad choices. So, uh, yeah, that's probably what's going to happen, but it's all dumb. <laughs> So let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about the, uh, the the Whitaker side of things, Jed. Because, like you said, he's handling this build incredibly well. He learned a lot. He's grown a lot from the last fight with Adesanya. And while he is the second best middleweight in the world, there is a lot on the line for him in this fight. And Whitaker told me when we spoke ahead of the fight that it, it's not really about wins and losses. It's not about the title. He just wants to feel like he was very satisfied with the effort that he leaves everything in that cage the chips fall where they may and he is happy with that as long as he gives his best effort on the sports analytical side jed outside of the title and a chance at righting a wrong and getting this 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 loss back what is on the line for robert whitaker in the long run on saturday man i haven't heard that quote from him um i don't know how i feel about that quote because objectively it's correct like that's what you're supposed to say but so few people in the world like are really able to internalize that and and have that be true in their soul. Um, so I, I got to process that one from him. But from a from a nuts and bolts standpoint, I mean, he needs this win really badly because I don't know what he does if he loses. Um, you know, there are a couple of tried and true plans of attack when you become the rich Franklins of the world who lost twice the champion and you're just kind of in that boat and they're normally change weight classes. I just don't think Robert Whitaker can move up a weight class um, and have like sustained success. 205, he, he is not a huge middleweight. He would be tiny against many 205ers and 
I'm not sure he can make I, – I think he could physically make the welterweight cut again, but I just don't know if he wants to put his body through that. Um, so then he's just sort of picking up scraps and middleweight. And for a lot of – there are a lot of things about the middleweight division that I think are good and valuable, but it is really short on names at this point. Um, and frankly, Robert Whitaker has beaten many older, you know, old guard guys in the division. There are not a lot of – you know, guys running around at middleweight that are legends tour fighters that he can just kind of spin his wheels with main event fights against. He's just going to have to keep fighting like Sean Strickland and whatever. And that's look at the end of the day, this is prize fighting. He gets paid to fight people. Uh, but I don't know if that, I mean, he's talked before about how uh, when he was in such a bad headspace, he, it, it was about motivation and kind of, I don't know that he's going to have that same fire to just keep, winning fights in a division where he has no realistic path to a title other than uh Adesanya either leaving the division or, or losing to somebody else so I think he really needs it to have any sort of career clarity otherwise I frankly wouldn't be super shocked that he might retire um or consider stepping away from the sport he's an interesting dude has a lot of other things going on in his life uh really values his family time and maybe he just says hey I can't be the champion uh, I'm going to spend time with my kids. Randy, what do you think? What, what is that stake for Rob Whitaker? Because a win would be absolutely massive. He's the champion. He said one of the things that really hampered him heading into the first fight is just being the champion. A lot of people just don't understand the weight of that when, when they first hold the title. We've we've heard Rose Namajunas talk about that. We've heard Demetrius Johnson talk about that. We've heard other fighters talk about that. The weight of the belt, it was almost like a weight lifted when they lost the title. It was almost like a lot of that pressure was taken off. But now he seems to be like if I will, I know it's and Rose is kind of in that same spot. So what do you think? What's at stake here for Robert Whitaker? So I like Jed's viewpoint and a lot of things, and I agree with a lot of the things that he said, um, but I disagree with some of the things as well, or not entirely agree with some of the things. Um, I think with a win, obviously it does wonders for his career. I mean, that's, that's kind of a given, but let's talk about the losses. So I think even with a loss, I don't think he's that far away from getting back. I mean, you have a pretty another pivotal mat, pivotal matchup, uh, Cannoneer and, and Brunson. You have Marvin Vittori still in the mix. You know, it's I, I don't think the path back to the title is that you know is is that far away. The motivation, however, maybe maybe a different story. But there are so many what ifs with it, with the Izzy thing because Izzy's floating weight classes. You don't know what's going to happen where. And, you know, all of these things are assuming that. One, Izzy wins, and two, Izzy stays healthy. I mean, this is MMA. How healthy can you stay when you're bouncing two different weight classes and, and, and doing five-round fights? Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily think it's like a must-win in, uh, in terms of his career for Whitaker. Um, but it's going to be – it, it'll probably be another at least two years until he can get another chance just given you know, the state of the division and what Izzy's planning to do. You know, Izzy just signed like the biggest, the second biggest deal ever in UFC history. I mean, what's that going to entail for him in terms of how often he's fighting, etc.? Um, so I definitely do see where uh, Jed's viewpoint. I agree with most of the things, but I don't entirely agree with some of the things. I don't think it's that. I don't think a loss is that detrimental to his career, as long, of course, as uh, as his motivation is still there. If his motivation is there, then he definitely has a clear path back to the title. Maybe not his next fight. Maybe not in two fights. But it's it's. It's still pretty clear. Um, yeah, man, Izzy, Izzy's, Izzy's whole situation is tricky because it's not even this fight that is 
determining what's next for the middleweight division. It's it's what's next for the middleweight division, what's next for the light heavyweight division. There are so many moving pieces. And then, you know, Ali Abdiaziz is talking about doing Usman versus versus Izzy. And while Izzy isn't on board with that yet, I'm sure that, you know, the dollar signs, I'm sure, uh, you know, may speak otherwise. Um, but who knows, man? I, I don't I don't I don't think it's a must win necessarily for Whitaker, but it's you know, it's a it's a pretty pretty like fork in the road uh, in his career for sure. Yeah, I see. I mean, I definitely see both sides. I, I'm I'm probably leaning more towards Jed because I mean, especially if this is a dominant win. Like now, if Whitaker loses a split decision, that's a different story. Another win or two, maybe you get back there. I'm sure the competitor in Adesanya is would be thinking, man, like I'm happy to retain the title, but I'm not happy to like get that finality. All right, even his coach is saying. It was great to knock him out the first fight, but I want a five-round whitewash. I want a fight where we just dominate pillar to post, beginning to end, and then we know we have that finality. We could officially move on for Robin. Listen, Robert Whitaker can have a very healthy career, and I mean this in the most respectable way as possible, as the Caitlin Chukagian of the middleweight division, where he could just headline fight night cards and just knock off contenders and just keep his spot on the mountain, just knock everybody down. Like, there's... There's some value there. You can you can do that. It's a Rich Franklin role. Like that's yeah, that's a good role. But I I just don't know. I don't know how much Rob wants to do that. Frankly, like just based on the many things he said over the years, and I I think that Rob is not super long for the sport anyway. Um, maybe he is. Maybe the financials are just so good for him. But he he just has a lot of other things that he takes interest in and. He, I mean, before he lost the belt, he had talked about, you know, not really having the fire anymore and maybe not being that interested in, in doing this all the time. Like, I, again, I think he totally can. He's the second best middleweight in the world. I think he's by a pretty clear margin, too. Like, I don't, I would pick him to beat any other middleweight not named Israel Adesanya. But it's just whether he wants to do that for the next couple of years when instead, you know, he's got a gym he's running. He can, do all these other things. He's huge into games. Like I do, he can do a bunch of other stuff and he's a pretty thoughtful and, you know, invested guy. I just don't know if he wants to do it that long. Yeah. He might be the bizarro Colby Covington, but in the middleweight division and very nice and respectful. I love on an entire, this won't happen for a lot of obvious reasons. Uh, I'd watch the hell out of Robert Whitaker fight Kamar Usman though like if he loses I would love for him to commit to the weight cut because he can make it I think he can make it actually pretty cleanly I don't think he'd be the biggest welterweight in like by far so I would love to watch him against some of the top guys down there because him versus Usman is that's a fantastic fight like that that gets me up in the morning to think about that fight so if he does lose I hope that's what happens yeah I mean of course, we got to see what happens Saturday. I love the title fight. I think it's flying under the radar in a big way, but uh, but I'm all about The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. 
This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the US, so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Now, let's take a deeper look at the card as a whole, Randy Costa, because... We had UFC 270. That card was ravaged, and people were complaining about the final product heading in. Ended up being a pretty solid card. A lot of storylines coming out of it, but not really anything to do with the fight itself. Some some for sure. People were not really thrilled about this past Saturday's card on paper. Ended up being a pretty fun card for the most part as well. And now we have this 271 card with this title fight. We have a really fun co-main event. We get a number one contenders fight at 185. A lot of interesting matchups here. So on paper, Randy... Where do you rank this card as a whole? If you could put like a letter grade on it, what are you looking at? Just looking at it on paper. Dude, I mean, for, for the hardcore, I mean, for the casual fan, I mean, this, this card probably gets like, what, maybe a C plus. But I, as, as a hardcore fan, dude, there's not much like, maybe not as much name value, but dude, there are some bangers on this card. I, I mean, I give it an easy B plus. There are so many like really, really fun fights. I mean, the kicking off the night is Jeremiah Wells. Jeremiah Wells is so fun to watch. Douglas D'Andra, uh, Silva D'Andra, that's fun to watch. Moicano and Hernandez, you know, a couple of Bantamweights, you know, the, the, Matt Schnell and Alex Perez, that's a pretty high stakes fe- uh, flyweight fight. I think that this card has some potential, man. I think it's, it's like I said, it's not, it, does, it doesn't have like that crazy name value per se, but man, there, there, are, some, there are some fun fights on this card. What do you think, Jed? I, I like it. I, I really like top to bottom. I think it's pretty solid. I think the order of operations for some of these matchups, it's a little puzzling. And we'll probably talk about that when we get to the low key banger portion of the program. But just top to bottom as a fight fan, are you excited to to sit down and watch all of these fights take place on Saturday? I am. I really like Randy's grades, honestly. Uh, I think C plus is, is probably accurate from a casual fan perspective. Mainly, you've got uh, Israel and, and Derek Lewis are doing a lot of heavy lifting to get casual interest up. People know both of those people, even if they don't know any, but anything else going on. Uh, and then, you know, the rest of the card has almost zero <laughs> casual appeal. Uh, maybe people still remember Andre Arlovsky. Um, but other than that, there's nothing from the casuals. But it's a lot of really well-made competitive fights. Um I'm genuinely pretty interested in a lot of the stuff that's happening here. I again, uh, 14 is just it, it's so 15. Sorry, 15 is just so many. Why can we we just have less? You don't need 
brevity is the soul of wit, and nobody has ever told that to the UFC matchmakers. Um, and so 15 fights is a lot, uh, but most of them are g- compelling in one way or another. If you are a avid fan, or frankly, if you're a, a person who likes to wager money on the outcomes of fist fights, there are a lot of interesting things happening on this card as well. So, yeah, I'm a... Uh, I'm pretty excited for it. Should be a good, should be a good little Saturday. Jed, you mentioned Derek Lewis, and this fight with Tai Tuivasa is just so much fun to think about because you have two powerhouses, two incredible personalities, two fan favorites, and I, I'm going to say something that I, I'm curious to get your thought on. I thought about this this morning. I think this is the perfect co-main event. I think it's perfect, and here's why: if you could put together a co-main event in MMA. Isn't this everything you would want? Because, yeah, somebody's got to lose, and that sucks. That's probably the worst part about it because both these guys are so likable. But at the same time, nobody's really hurt by it. We have stakes, but the fighters don't care about the stakes at all. And we got two dudes who are just going to go in there and slug it out and give fans what they want. One guy's going to win by knockout. The other's going to come back. And when they get their next fight booked, no matter what happens, everyone's going to be excited for it. So... This is there's an argument to be made that this is the perfect co-main event, in my opinion, Jed. Your thoughts? Yeah, dude. Derek Lewis is the perfect B tier fighter. Like if if main events for pay per views are the A plus tier, that's where you want your top echelon stuff going. Derek Lewis is just right under that. Like he's he's all the things that you said. He can either be the co-main to a solid pay per view or headline a fight night without issue. It'll always be a good time. Um, he's probably going to win he's probably going to win violently he's certainly going to give you some sort of an outlandish quote uh and so yeah great time love Derek Lewis huge huge Black Beast fan over here so great co-main Randy there's there's great co-main there's really good co-main there's fun co-main but I think this is the perfect co-main I think this is the perfect co-main event when you mix everything in a blender and you pour it in a cup and you drink it, it's just delicious. It's just the perfect concoction. Your thoughts. Is this the perfect co-main event? I I agree like a thousand percent, man. I mean, both guys are, are fan favorites. Somebody's more than likely going to get slept. And there's one more thing that you, that you really didn't mention, Mike, and it's that uh, Derek is a Texas is a Texas boy. This is a, a, a hometown fight for him co-maining. On, on a card that we're, 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 we're talking about may not have that much name value. I mean, he himself will can sell out, I'm sure, the the uh, the toy, or Toyota, I think they're fighting at? The Toyota. Yeah. Um, dude, that's a that's a fun fight. I mean, you, you could, it's probably the inevitable that someone's going to get knocked out. Um, both, both are huge personalities. Man, I'd love this fight. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm, I imagine the odds are probably pretty heavy in Derek Lewis's favor. But you really can't count Tuivasa out because that boy is throwing bombs. Um, They're actually I'm, I'm not as heavy as you think. I'm excited for it. The odds actually aren't that that tilted toward Derek Lewis. Like I expected them to be much longer than they are. Lewis is minus one seventy. Tuivasa is plus one fifty. Last I checked this morning. Oh wow! I figured it was going to be closer to like two two twenty five ish. Yep, wow. I thought two fifty. Okay. So it's much closer than I expected. Awesome value. I think I, th- I think some people are maybe weighing in the Derek Lewis fighting in Houston factor, but I think he's kind of explained that with Ariel that, you know, it was more about the dates and him being the anniversary of him getting out of prison and the pressures of that took, like fighting for a title literally on the anniversary of the day you got out of prison. Just, also, just weighed a lot on his mind. There's also a way 
there's just a huge difference between headlining a card and not headlining a card and the amount of expectation and pressure put upon you is like very different. I would, I would suspect when you're, when you're just the guy, you're the follow-up, you know, you're the banquo, the B side. That's, I think that's probably a lot easier to manage. Yeah. And then Ty Tuivasa just talking about, I mean, the whole shoey thing, I, I don't get it. I get why people like to watch it. Go ahead, Jed. Look, I said this on Twitter yesterday. I've done probably a hundred shoeys in my life. I played college rugby. I've shot a lot of boots. Cuppy is where I draw the line. Ty Tuivasa is a monster. <laughs> he is an absolute monster. And I've done some nasty shoeys, man. And that's especially like a, a freshly fought in cuppy. That's no, that's just a hard no for, for me and for the board of public health and for anyone <laughs> who in decency tied to Ivasa, you are an animal. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm looking forward to even the possibility of a cuppy. I mean, oh, I'm some absolutely people it's looking a, forward to it. You're Come looking on. forward to it. Oh, hey, I'm fucking here for it, man. I'm here, you're here for it too. You can't not look at the train wreck. <laughs> There you go. It's like we said Victor Henry's name and Casey's all over the the damn button. So uh, last thing, low-key banger, Randy. What fight, fighter, storyline is not getting enough love and attention, but it's just really sticking out to you? Um, so if you asked me this question last night, my answer or my reaction might be a little bit different. But I think Moicano versus Hernandez is crazy. I think that now there's a little bit more attention on it now ju uh, just because of um, because what Hernandez had to say about it. But, dude, that's a fun fight. And I also think that Kyler Phillips versus Marcelo, I don't know if it's Rojo or Rojo. I, I don't mean to disrespect his name, but that it's fight Rojo. is so much fucking fun. That fight is – that's a banger, man. That's a banger. I th there are so many really fun fights on this card. Uh, that fight in particular, the Bobby Green fight, obviously – uh, but if you told me to do one, then I would probably say Moicano and Hernandez. Jed? Uh, it's a really good choice. Also, the odds on that surprised me. Uh, Moicano is the favorite, which very shocked by that. Um, but, yeah, give me give me the flyweights, man. Alex Perez and Matt Schnell are – that's just going to be fun. Like, there's – Winner flyweight's not fun is my go-to answer, and especially both of those dudes. Uh, you got Perez coming off, off failing to win a title, so I think he's going to be looking to make a big statement. And Machinelle is usually game for some fun, scrambly weirdness. So, yeah, that fight's probably going to be dope. And they, they were yeah. supposed to fight just, just a couple months ago or, or a couple – a few. I think it was the car that I was on. Uh, I think it was December – I think it was 269. That fight, uh, there was I think, or the week before something, uh, but there was there was a um, a problem with weight, and the commission stopped, I believe, Matt Schnell from cutting more weight, um, so that fight got postponed. So add, you know, this is like a 16 week, 18 week fight camp for these guys, uh, and these guys are scrappy as, as fuck to begin with, man. It, it's gonna be like it's a tumbleweed rolling around the cage. Like, I'm I'm pumped for it for sure. They've actually this been might be fight at four different times. Four times. <laughs> four, four different well, well, times. Most recent. So uh, yeah, 269. 262, the Barbosa Chikadze fight night, and then Brunson Till, and then 269. So, yeah, oh this, is the, this, this is, is the fifth this is booking. This is the Tony Ferguson, Habib Nurmagomedov that actually happened. Theoretically. Yes. We still have. Pump the brakes, man. Two days Pump the until brakes. this goes down. <laughs> This is the fifth booking for Alex Perez since he fought Figgy. 
because it was the, this is the fourth one with Schnell, and then he was booked mm-hmm. with Askarov in July, and oh, then that fight goodness. didn't happen. So finally, we ho- hopefully we get to see Alex Perez back inside the octagon because that's a fun fight. I'm actually I'm going with Randy for a lot of the same reasons that he talked about. It's Hernandez Moicano. I know a lot of people have had a lot of things to say about Hernandez in that conversation that I had with him and him not being happy with this placement on the card. I, I think we need to clarify something here. Okay. Because this fight, like if this fight was on the ESPN prelims, I think he'd be fine with it. I think he'd be cool with it, but this is on the early, early prelims. And in my hundred percent, right. I think he's got a gripe here. This fight deserves to be on ESPN. You can make an argument that it should be on the main card and it, I'm sure Randy's with me here. New England, what's up? I like William Knight. I like him a lot, but you can't tell me that his fight with Maxim Grishin deserves to be on ESPN, but Hernandez Moicano does not. I am with him on this argument. Some people just looked at the freaking headline and attacked him on social media. He's not wrong, and I'm sure Moicano feels the same way if you asked him, honestly, and he should feel that way. So that's my pick for sure. I love the fight. Jed, what, what the fingers on the mouth? What, what are we what are we uh, what are we pontificating here? So objectively, you're both correct. Like this should be on that. But Alex Hernandez has really weird body type, and it throws me off all the time. And so I can't feel bad for him. Like it's literally the first thing I think of when you say the name Alex Hernandez is he is like weirdly square, just like his whole body is a square, and so I. I can't be like, oh yeah, I don't. I can't feel bad for him. Like he needs to win a lot to overcome his weird Josh Emity square body. That that upsets me. <laughs> oh God, it's already been a a pretty tough week for Hernandez. Now we're gonna get a bunch of SpongeBob memes with his face on it. Very SpongeBob is all I'm saying. Uh you're unbelievable. Well, we we got to move ahead. Uh, Let's let, let's move to a man who will be watching the main event Saturday very, very closely. His name is Sean Strickland. He picked up another win. This time he defeats Jack Hermanson. The official MMAfighting.com stance on the fight was 50 to 45 for Sean Strickland. Two judges scored at 49-46 for Strickland. No issue with that, those scorecards. One scored it for Jack Hermanson, which is an absolutely horrendous scorecard. I mean, one of the all-time horrendous scorecards, but Strickland wins again. Jed, what did that win do for him in this division? In other words, if you're Derek Brunson or Jared Cannonier or even Adesanya or Whitaker right now, are you losing any sleep after Saturday? Nah. Um, honestly, I mean, it's tough to say – that a win is bad because it's not it's obviously better than a loss but i don't know man that uh i feel like winning even i think sure strickland was probably a little hard on himself frankly beat a tough opponent um and i think he i like you think that he should have won that handily or at least cleanly uh, but he did not impress and he had kind of a lot going for him he had a big build uh, there were a lot of we talked a lot about him beforehand, and then it just ended up being sort of meek and just not that interesting when he's was finally given the chance to really be put on on the stage and just didn't really do a lot. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I just not not his best performance. Sometimes you have off nights, but I left that fight thinking I never thought he had a great chance against Izzy or, or Whitaker. I left that fight thinking 
okay, well, he probably is not beating like Cannoneer or any of these other people either. And so he's just he's just a good, solid top 10 middleweight. And there's nothing wrong with being a good, solid top 10 fighter. That means you're one of the 10 best people in the world at your job. <laughs> but uh, in sporting context, that that's a tough place to settle in a lot of ways. What do you think, Randy, for, for the fighter's perspective? Because, you know, like like most of you guys and gals, he was pretty pretty hard on himself for that performance. Jabbed Hermanson over and over and over at will for 25 minutes, did pretty much whatever he wanted to do. But he's also one of those guys that is kind of an anomaly in MMA where it kind of – I don't know who, who really to compare him to here, but you know exactly what he's going to do. Like when you fight Sean Strickland, you know exactly what he's going to do. He's going to march forward. He's going to land that jab over and over again. He's going to throw a bunch of volume, pressure you like crazy. You know it's coming, but no one at 185 has been able to stop it. What did that win do for him beating a guy like Jack Hermanson? I think, like Jed said, I mean, it, a win is never is never necessary, is never bad, right? But, I mean, this is close to, like, worst case in terms of winning because it wasn't, like, a, a wildly entertaining fight, which is kind of against everything that – or against every fight that Sean typically has. Typically when Sean fights, it's a, it's a wicked fun fight, right? We, we kind of know that. He's fun to watch. There's a reason why he was headlining the card. Um, but, I mean, he came out in here and he's been saying that, you know, super hard on himself, obviously, and, and saying that he let, like, the suits get to him and, and, and all that stuff is probably true. Um, I, I, do, uh, I do see where he's coming from with that. Um, but he certainly didn't, like, I don't think that he made – I don't think there's like a this is the guy that has to get the next title shot. There's nothing that like jumped off. He, he was it was a pretty boring fight. He fought a safe fight. He wasn't like over he didn't over engage. He just kind of kind of played it safe over the course of five rounds. I don't know how somebody had Jack Hermanson winning that fight, but I don't know what they were watching, but it certainly wasn't Strickland versus Hermanson. Um but I still think that I still think that that Strickland can get into that into the to the top guys. I don't think he beats a lot of the guys, but I think, I mean, you can call me crazy, man. You can call me crazy. I mean, the style fighter that Izzy is, is Izzy relies a lot on, like, finesse and things like that. Strickland's going to march forward. I don't I don't count Strickland out of a fight with Izzy. I, th- I don't think that I don't think that Strickland can necessarily beat a lot of the top guy, the top five guys at 185. But stylistically, dude, I think Strickland's close to a nightmare matchup. It's a guy that's going to walk forward with his hands up, and he's just going to jab you straight in your face. What are you gonna do? You're gonna how are you gonna hit a guy with it with it with his head up with it with me with his hands up, just walking straight forward and, and and just jabbing your face off? I think that jab will disrupt a lot of the rhythm that Izzy has. Like I said, I don't think that that Strickland can or will be will be most of the the top guys at 85. But stylistically, I think he gives Izzy a lot of problems. But I, I don't think we're gonna see that fight. Uh, I think there there are too many people in the way and too many hard stylistic matchups for him to get to until he gets that matchup. Um, but I'm here for an Izzy versus Sean Strickland matchup, but not for the belt, and certainly not yet. What, Jed? He, he's just – he's poor man Marvin Vittori. Like that's – or maybe uh, not to use this term, but to bootleg it from him saying it himself, white trash Marvin Vittori. Like he's, he's, he's not as big or strong as Marvin Vittori, but he just walks forward and – jabs bunch and that's really effective and honestly a really good game plan but like i just i don't know i didn't see as he struggled with marvin vittori who can take a shot like 
unbelievably well. And I just, I think he just marks up Sean Strickland at this point. Like that's, I could be wrong. I'm wrong all the time, but I don't, <laughs> we, we just saw Izzy beat this, a better version of this style. I have no doubts that Izzy would toast him. The build to that fight would be, uh, I don't know what to think about the build to that fight. So uh, yeah, it would be something. All right. Jed, uh, who was the MVP of UFC Vegas 47? Strickland won the main event, but he was oh. not the MVP of the night. Who, who was the MVP of the night? I mean, is this a question? I feel like it's Shavkat Rachmanov, right? Like, sure, some other things happened that were pretty decent, but, like, that dude's a problem. <laughs> that dude's the man. Uh, um, uh, Kyrgyzstan stand up. Or, no, Kazakhstan, sorry, not Kyrgyzstan. Kazakhstan stand up. Uh, spinning hook kick. And he's 15-0 in his career, all all of them by stoppage. Like, I have him, I think, as my 14 or 15th ranked welterweight in the MMA fighting global rankings. Uh, I think some of you jabronis are finally going to get on board with that, and he's going to actually enter our rankings uh, at the end of this month because y'all are going to pull your heads out the sand and recognize. Uh, But Nomad's here. Nomad's a problem, and I am stoked to see what this dude does. So, uh, I give me all of it. Give me the hat. Give me the furry wolf hat. Give me everything. Everything Rachmanov. I'm in. I might be wrong, but I might have been the first person to put Rachmanov in the rankings. I could be maybe. wrong. I don't yeah, know. I've, did, had him, I've had him in for a while, but maybe. Yeah, I think I had him in like after the second win, but then he, he's just not as active. So it almost like yeah. it's tough. He's like teetering on that spot because we got guys like Sarukian and Fazeev and all these guys. Oh, no, he's uh, well, yeah, we, he's a 70. Never mind, never mind, never mind. He's a 70 year, 70 year. I get so, yeah. so many okay. fighters. Yeah, he was there at one point. I can tell you that. Uh, who was your MVP, Randy? Who, who stood out on Saturday night? Who was, who was your guy? I would say, obviously, uh, Shockbot's up there 1,000%. But another one, man, is, is Chidi Nujikwani. He Marc-Andre Beltran is no joke. I mean, we or Marc-Andre Barriol, no joke. No joke at all. And Chidi made him look like a child. It was one punch, the fight was over. Uh, the first fight in the UFC um, had, a, had a crazy contender showing. I would say that Shockfot's probably the MVP of the night, but I, I think I think that uh, <clears throat> that Chidi's right there with him. Uh, not on that same level, but I think Chidi's right there with him. Um, he's just he has a ton of hype behind him. He's so smooth on the feet. He has he had a bunch of fights before he even got in the Contender Series, which is pretty you know unheard of, especially now with all the hype that he has. This is like a seasoned vet having like prospect type hype. Um, he sees the opportunity. I don't think he's the MVP, but I'm super high on, on Chidi Nujikwani. Yes. Uh, maybe he's the 10th player award winner for the event. That's pretty good. No love for Julian Arosa after that night and getting the whole bonus and 30% beats an opponent that missed weight. What a crazy ass fight that was. What a comeback story that guy has been, Julian Arosa. I, I mean, the fight was a banger, but like if I'm thinking back on that event, I'm thinking back on Shafkat's hook kick. Like that's. Yeah, Andrew, can, you asked us, you know, you asked us who the MVP was. You didn't say yeah, what fights yeah. were fun on the card. Yeah, because I'd also <laughs> give a shout to Nick Maxwell. I'm just I'm giving him a shout out. That's all. He's not the MVP. Shop, you guys are right. Shafkot is the MVP. He's the man. Didn't he get a didn't he get a uh didn't he get a hundred thousand dollars too? Yeah, he got the whole fight yeah. of the night for himself since Peterson missed weight. Man, it's a good gig if you can get it. That's a Hell solid yeah. gig. That doesn't suck. <laughs> that does That's not, not suck. suck. 
<laughs> so, someone someone hit us up on the on the post fight show and said Julian Rosa should be the UFC 150 pound champion because he seems to always find himself in these like accidental catchweight fights with guys and he always has these crazy performances and he probably should have got a bonus in his two previous finishes but didn't get him and now he gets a hundred thousand so he goes full circle so the Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. I want to hit on a couple more things before we get out of here. One pretty surprising one recently happened also pretty surprising honestly but uh let's start with the ufc featherweight champion of the world alexander volkanovsky randy costa because like yourself this guy's built a career one of the you know he's he's he hasn't had to talk a lot of trash like he's not a trash talker he became a champion he's one of the best fighters pound for pound on the planet but he's not a trash talker. He's not the kind of guy that fires shots on social media at guys. He is who he is. But on Tuesday night, he did something I didn't think I'd ever see. Takes a shot at Max Holloway in reaction to Holloway being medically cleared. And then he offers to throw his name into the hat as a backup for the Volkanovsky Korean zombie title fight at UFC 273. All right, let me pull up this tweet so I can read it exactly. So Volkanovsky Tuesday night on Twitter says, quote, Max Holloway wants to be the backup fighter for the fight he was originally scheduled to fight. So in other words, he was never injured. Just hoping he doesn't have to fight me or fight me while I'm preparing for someone else. But hey, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, no. I could not believe this tweet, Randy. Your reaction to what the champion had to say, because that was pretty shocking to me. So, like, I see where he's coming from, but one big thing that he failed to know or mention is that the fight moved like a couple, a few weeks back, a couple weeks back. That's like a fucking huge note, a huge note, right? Because, I mean, if the dude can't fight in four weeks because of an injury, why can't he fight in eight weeks? You know, he's cleared now. The fight is, the fight has been postponed. Max didn't say he didn't want to fight Volkanovski. Max said he doesn't want to fight Volkanovski on that date because he cannot get cleared to fight, right? Or he didn't even say that, he just didn't get cleared. So if the fight gets moved a couple weeks back, I mean, that excuse of him pulling out of the fight is no longer, like, it's no longer valid, in my opinion. I see where he's coming from. I get it. I agree. But you can't fail to note that very important, like, little tidbit. There was a a, a, a four-week or three-week difference from when two fights that he's talking about. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I see where he's coming from, but I don't know, man. The date pushback, it's just kind of hard for me to, like, understand the validity of that argument. 
and to sort of add a little bit of context to this, because I know Ariel talked about it yesterday and I was told the same thing. So now I can say it because he already said it. When Holloway basically had to withdraw from the targeted fight, him and his team said, listen, if you if to, basically told the UFC, if you can find like if someone else, if you get somebody on, it's, it's up to you guys. They like left it up to the UFC. Like if you guys can fight, cool. If not, like, you know, I'll fight whenever. That's that's basically in the UFC went out and they found zombie and there you go. So like it's not like Holloway's fight this dude, but he was trying to be kind of a company guy from from their standpoint. So just kind of putting that out there. But Jed, I am sure that you have been waiting to find a way to express yourself on this very topic in over 280 characters. What did you think? What is he trying to do here? Is there is there a method to his madness that I'm just missing? No, uh, there's not a method. The method is, uh, I think Alexander. I'm gonna play full armchair armchair psychologist. I think Alexander Volkanovsky uh, is genuinely bothered by the lack of respect he gets from fans uh, because his two fights with Max Holloway have been so close, and because he caught a rash of crap from them for essentially saying, I don't want to fight Max again. I've beaten him twice. I'd like to fight other contenders, which is totally justified. I'll be extremely clear. I've been pro Volkanovski in a lot of this because he's right. Like he has two wins. In my opinion, they're not controversial at all. I thought he won both fights um, and he should want to beat other contenders. I think that's a valid concern and, and request from your champion. Uh, but I think that the way fans have treated it, it's, it's gotten to him. It is dug under his skin. And so he gets this way. And we saw it with Brian Ortega, like in the tough thing. Volk seems like a really chill dude, but he, I think he has a really, real quick trigger on what is going to bother him uh, in some respects. And Ortega bothered the crap out of him on that tough season, if you watched any of it, uh, for stuff that is, I would say, legitimate, but also he probably got bothered by it too much which is probably why he's a champion and i you know write words on the internet for a living uh but in this regard like this is just insane um randy nailed it uh if for no other reason this would be insane because it's not the same fight date <laughs> it's that's just the difference maker here uh but it would Look, he doesn't talk trash for a reason. It's because he sucks at it, and so he shouldn't do it. Like, he just don't. Look, I, Mike, you and I have talked a lot about how I I would love to start a fighter consulting business because I think that I could get fighters to be more interesting, um, and the UFC certainly should do that from a promotional standpoint. But it's not by just do the Colby Covington thing. Like, some people can, some people can't. And Volk can't do that. Like, he just is trash at this. And this was so – like, if you're going to say that about somebody, you can't say it about a dude who's already fought you for 50 minutes and arguably beat you. He's clearly not afraid of you. He's fought you for an hour, and you haven't killed him. So why would he be afraid of you? He's also been aggressively campaigning to fight you while you have – on multiple occasions been like, nah, dude, I want to fight other people. Not that that means Volk is scared of Holloway, but one of these two men has been all in on trying to fight the other, and it's not been Alexander Volkanovsky. Like, it's just the stupidest of all possible 
trash talks. Like, yeah, Max Holloway tried to fight Habib Nurmagomedov on two weeks' notice. I'm sure that dude's afraid of you, man. He's fought for an hour already. Like, come on, just be better. Like, it's just be better. You can say a lot of things, or you just don't have to say anything about this one. It's totally okay to just be like, cool, Max. Uh, I'm going to focus on zombie right now. You and I can settle up later. And that's okay. Like, it's just, again, I think Alexander Volkanovsky is one of the three or four best fighters in the world. I don't believe he gets nearly the amount of respect he should for his resume and for just how talented and good he is because I think he is a truly special fighter. But all of that specialness stops when he gets on on the Twitter or on the microphone, and he just needs to quit doing that. Like, go do your cooking show on YouTube, man. That's at least entertaining, and it's more your speed because this ain't it, bro. It's just not it. That was quite the promo right there. This is, I mean, clearly very off-brand for Volkanovski. Pretty surprising stuff for sure. But let's talk about something probably a little more surprising, Jed, because it seemed like we were on the road to a Kayla Harrison return to the PFL. By all accounts and everything I had been hearing, this was just missing ink on a piece of paper. And now we find out, thanks to our friend Ariel Hawani, she is reevaluating things. Talks have hit a snag. And now... Kayla's career cup is essentially empty. So, Jed, here's my question. Because PFL seemed to be the favorite from Jump Street. In my mind, in your mind, in most minds, get that money, make a milli every season, get paid handsomely in between, easy peasy. Jed, how the hell is this possible? PFL, all of this, how did this get so screwed up? Did PFL, do you think PFL shot themselves in the foot or did they just somehow lose like like how did this happen did they just lose their biggest start of the ufc or bellator in a matter of 24 hours my guess is no um this brings i saw the first tweet that went out last night um you know the bet on yourself or whatever and that it just gives me real strong conor mcgregor i'm retired vibes you know like um, my guess, I have no inside knowledge. This is entirely speculation. My guess is that Kayla had decided ultimately she's going to resign with the PFL for all the many reasons we've talked about. She can make a million pretty easily. It's a short-term contract. She's just going to be locked in for one year. She can get the Julia Bud fight, which is a relevant fight for her legacy inside that organization and just, you know, in, in general. And so there's enough to do to keep her there one more year. And then she can move to Bellator, the UFC kind of branch out after she gets one more year of rep under her. Uh, I still ultimately think that's what will happen. My guess is that she asked for something, a concession to be made, um, a little bit extra money in one regard or, or something like that. I don't know what that what the one thing would be, but kind of all the reports saying this was on the on the one yard line and now, you know, been stuffed to consecutive runs up the middle. Still feel like we're ultimately gonna get it, but I think this is this is her playing whatever kind of leverage hardball she can with the PFL, whether it's to get a little bit more money, whether it's to even just have the opportunity to maybe go fight in another organization instead of doing a for all intents and purposes, fabricated lightweight tournament. Like, again, the PFL really offers her a million dollars and Julia Bud. Those are the two things that they offer her that matter. Beating two or three other women on her way to getting the million dollars is unnecessary and does very little for anything other than giving them viewers. So maybe what she wants is, hey, I 
I want to do this. I don't really care about doing a lightweight tournament. Let me fight Julia Budd. Maybe bring somebody else over. I'll fight them. But also let me see about maybe branching out to do something else. And maybe they want to say no. And so now she's she's playing hardball. But I think ultimately she's just going back because it makes all the sense in the world. If Bellator and the UFC didn't didn't open up the money truck already to get to steal her away. I don't know why things would change at the 11th hour from their perspective. So I just don't know what would ultimately be a big change here. Randy, what, what do you think about this? And let me say, kind of like Jensen, we don't know the full story. We don't know what happened. You know, who knows? Maybe maybe Kayla Harrison and Ali Abdelaziz went into the PFL executive offices like that nerdy guy in the dark night who demanded $10 million every year for the rest of his life and just like totally overplayed his hand. But I doubt that's the case here. What, what did you think of this whole thing? So I've seen Kayla mention it in interviews about like running a leg or like getting a legacy, getting the legacy fights, you know, short-term contracts, which I mean, I see she, she's in the driver's seat, right? She's an Olympic champion. She's one of the, one of the greatest women Combat sports, combat sport athletes ever uh, won the PFL uh, million dollar uh, belt a couple times. So I might be, I might be crazy, man, but I, I don't think she's gonna go back to PFL. I think that, I think that, I think that a cyborg fight is a very, very realistic thing. A short term contract with Bellator, and I also think, I mean, Amanda Nunes and uh, Pena are locked up for. I mean, you figure at least three, four months anyway, just because filming up the show, fighting for the belt, etc. Kayla's not going to go to the UFC and then fight, you know, the number three or four or five ranked person, right? She's going to get in and fight the number one right away. I think that – I don't know if I think it, but I think – I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities that she's going to have some sort of short-term short contract with Bellator, get a cyborg fight, see how the Pena and uh, uh, Nunes stuff plays out, and then reevaluate from there. PFL is always going to be an option for her. They're not going to, if she leaves PFL, they're not going to say, oh no, fuck you. You can't come back. It's not just not going to happen. She's, she's an asset to that, to that, to that company. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, man. I do think that there's some sort of, I mean, I don't, I don't know, man, there's, there's gotta be some sort of inclination to go to, to Bellator to, to build up that legacy. Cause obviously the, if money, if it, if it wasn't about money, I mean, if it was about money, then PFL would be the number one. I mean, that's, that's a no brainer. You're going to get a couple fights and then fight for a million dollars. Um, but obviously, the money is not necessarily the number one priority for her. I think building, building her legacy is. And I think a cyborg fight you know, is a step in that direction. And then see how the Amanda Nunes fights goes. Fight, fight goes. I don't think that Kayla is going to sign with the UFC right away just because of how the division's locked up right now because of the ultimate fighter. But I think fight, a fight with uh, a contract with Bellator, a short term contract with Bellator, and a cyborg fight is a very realistic thing. Um, just look at the, look at how many views it's going to bring. I'm sure Cyborg's going to get excited with with that challenge and that you know the money that it's going to bring to the table and the eyeballs that it's going to bring. Um, that's my take, man. I think I think that I think that there's going to be some sort of short term fights or or something uh, with Bellator and getting that uh, Cyborg fight and then ultimately waiting to see how the Pena and Nunes thing plays out. Because signing with PFL, I mean. She's the top dog, but it's not necessarily a no-risk situation. She could 1,000% go and, and get knocked out in 10 seconds. That's not out of the realm of possibility. Whereas if you go and get those le- – and then if you lose, all the legacy fights are out the window. Why don't you just take the, leg- the legacy fight right away, sign that short-term deal with Bellator, who I'm sure is going to pay very generously, get that big fight with Cyborg, and then see how everything plays out going forward. I don't think she's going to sign with PFL. That, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that she's going to chase the legacy fights at this point. 
Scott Coker, if you're watching this right now, get this done. Get this Sign, done. Give me 10%. You Honestly, have an opportunity. You have an opportunity. Like, this is a game changer, all right? The UFC doesn't need not. Kayla Harrison. They don't need her. They can, I mean, it's not, it doesn't hurt to have her. They'll pay her, but they don't need her. PFL needs her and is kind of letting her slip away. And Bellator really needs her, maybe more than the PFL needs her. Scott, if you're watching this right now, listen to me. You know what? Don't listen to me. Pick up the phone and call Kayla Harrison and Ali right now. You get on a conference call with them immediately, and you get this done because we don't get second chances in this life very often, and you got one. You cannot let this slip away. This is massive. If they can pull a rabbit out of their hat and sign Kayla here, holy cow. That'd be a massive turn of events for them. Jed, you look like you're just ready to jump through the screen right now. After the, after you make that phone call, Scott, please give me a call because I would love to pick your brain as to what the hell you've been doing for the last five months anyway. Because look, the, the reason I think she's going back to PFL entirely is this should have been settled forever ago. The UFC doesn't need her. Bellator super does. The fact that Scott Coker did not just hand her the keys to Viacom and be like, write a check. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And so I cannot believe that there's a world in which this is anything more than her publicly showing the PFL that they need to, to meet her demands because other people will pay her. Like, I don't know what Scott Coker has done. They should have signed her. I always thought she was going back to the PFL because at this point, I don't believe in Scott Coker as a promoter. I think he does many things well, but Bellator has not been successful the past few years in my eyes, certainly. So if if this really is a chance, for sure take it, Scott Coker, and then sit in front of a mirror and take a look at yourself because there's no world in which you should need a second chance. You should have spiked the football the first time around. Do better. Do better. Speaking of Bellator, I, 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 I want to touch on this real quick, and then we'll get out of here. Your boy is back, Jed Mishu. Yoel Romero, he's back. He's fighting at, uh, at light heavyweight on that Paris card. He's fighting Melvin Manoff. Co-main event of the Ryan Bader versus Czech Congo heavyweight title fight. Your thoughts on Mr. Romero coming back, and uh, do you like the matchmaking here? I mean, I love, I love that Yoel Romero is coming back. This is uh, not good. Let's just let's just call it what it is. I have a great amount of respect for Melvin Manhoof. We're talking about a guy who is probably a career middleweight, realistically, who knocked out Mark Hunt like at the peak of Mark Hunt's chin. Um, I still don't honestly understand the physics of that one. And it will forever be ingrained in me as a oh, this dude like this dude could probably knock out a hippopotamus if we if we gave him a shot at it. Uh, so he's got a chance to win purely based on that. Well, Manhoff's forty five. Uh, I don't frankly know how he has managed to string some wins together in the Bellator cage. Um, and it's just I don't need to see 45-year-olds compete unless they're Yoel Romero because that dude is a Martian who's 45 going on 20. So uh, this fight's probably going to be awful from a nuts and bolts standpoint because Yoel will do nothing and Melvin will do nothing. And then, <laughs> then Yoel will hit him one time and that'll be the end of it. 
But, uh, you know, I'm always going to stand the true middleweight goat, Yoel Romero, greatest greatest middleweight of the past 10 years, certainly, and, you know, should have been a UFC champion, and uh, I will forever believe that. So I'll tune in because it's Yoel, but, man, I'm not going to feel great about it. <laughs> is this going to be appointment viewing for you, Randy Costa? Are you, are you, is it already on your calendar? We can't do anything on May 6th, okay? Because I have to watch Yoel Romero fight Melvin Manhoof. I mean, I'm, I'm going to watch, right? But... Like, I mean, I probably wouldn't use the verbatim that Jed used, but I mean, I'm not exactly thrilled to watch this fight. I don't really see what the sense is behind it. I think it's a pretty straightforward win um, for Yoel, and I'm not sure what it does for either guy aside from get paid, but that's fine because that's what we're in this for. I think it, I don't know, man. I'm always excited to watch Yoel, Yoel fight. The dude's a freak. He's an insane athlete. To talk about he's in his 40s is just fucking asinine. Like, I can't, it, it's like, too crazy to even believe. Um, always going to be a UL fan, big UL fan. Going to watch a thousand percent. Going to watch that fight, um, but I wouldn't Holy. necessarily call myself a supporter of that matchup. What? Holy shit! What? I did not realize this until right now, and that was an honest to god reaction. Uh, what? Melvin Manhoof is ranked in the Bellator light heavyweight rankings. <laughs> That is a true statement. That man is number 10 in the Bellator light. Because when Randy said, I don't know, I was like, honestly, I don't even know who else he can get to fight him. It's not like they have a super deep 205 weight class. Like, you can go fight Lyoto. I mean, sure, whatever. And I pulled it up. Another man who is number 10 in Bellator's rankings. Whew, that is a tough scene. This is why we tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the only rankings that matter, MMAfighting.com. They, they that is, a, that is damn sure. God, yeah. I mean, we've 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 had many of episodes picking those rankings apart, but yeah. So that's a thing that's happening uh, May sixth in uh, Paris, France, and I feel like Yoel Romero is just going to be so hard to to match up in Bellator. Like the Rumble fight was really cool. We were all in on the Rumble fight. And then, you know, Rumble's dealing with the health issues and we get Phil Davis and nobody liked the idea of him fighting Phil Davis. It ended up being a way and people. And then, yeah, here we are. Melvin Manhoof, the like, complete opposite of Phil Davis. And yeah, just crickets, pins dropping. It's just what it is, what it is. But that's it. All right, we're done. Randy, you are the man. Thank you for jumping on. I know you got things All to right, do, we're and uh, <laughs> we're we have with Yo Romero. Uh, when, when when can we see you back in there? When when are we targeting a return, Mister Costa? I don't know, man. I'm just kind of waiting at this point. I'm within, you know, I can make weight in like two weeks. So just kind of focusing on. I mean, because dude, I fucking laid an egg on December 11th. I mean, there's those. I got my ass kicked. Um, I'm not in any sort of position to be calling out dates or opponents or matchups or timeframes or any of that. Um, my job now is just to be in shape, be ready to go, um, and improving every day. And that's what I'm doing, man. I don't have my eyes on an opponent. I don't have my eyes on a time frame. I'm ready whenever they're ready. Um, yeah, dude, could be next week. Could be yesterday. Who knows? I'm just, I'm just ready to go. Um, I, I have, I have to, I have to get that, fucking trash ass taste out of my mouth i mean it, this is a no-brainer we got to put you on that april 30th card you and joe lozon fighting on the same card again just like you did in october of 2019 i think that's a great idea uh and so we can too. put you in there with anybody i think that'd be a tremendous idea jed uh i believe you will be joining us for the preview show tomorrow is that is that accurate 
I will, and I have three things to say, and then you can wrap us. Uh, for, two of them are to Randy. The first one, Randy, uh, you absolutely have the right to call people out and do all that. Believe in yourself, buddy, uh, because you're a handsome man. <laughs> two, on your handsome manness, drop the skincare routine because that's working for everybody. Uh, and number three, <laughs> entirely going to pivot entirely away. Uh, everybody go to MMAfighting.com. Uh, read to Helen back the story by our own Damon Martin. It is on the journey of Odie Delaney, a one FC uh, heavyweight. It is really compelling read, very uh, interesting and worthwhile uh, about mental trauma and uh, kind of the path to redemption, stuff like that. So uh, really great effort from Damon and just trying to plug that for everybody. So uh, believe in yourself, Randy, drop that skincare routine. Everybody go read that story. We out. That's it. All Appreciate right. it, you guys. You can hit the music. You can hit the music, Casey. We're uh, we are done. We'll be back next week doing something on this program. Maybe a competition. Maybe we get the the dream match between Jed versus Phoenix for the undisputed BTL championship. Who the hell knows? We fly at the seat of our pants here at BTL. So until next week, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. We get the weigh-in show. We got the preview show. And then Jed and I are actually gonna be doing something on Saturday during the event, the prelim pregame. <laughs> On the MMA Fighter Twitter Spaces, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, you can join Jed and I, and we're going to watch the final two prelims before the main card. So join us for that. For Jed, for Randy, I'm Mike Cat. Good night, everybody. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.